All right, we're talking about the last days, the end of time. We're going to talk about the concept of what we're going to do if we're living in the end days and this takes place because this is something very important that you won't make it in your spiritual life. This is something that has to be taught. If we were living in the most wonderful time to ever exist, you still would have to do this because you won't make it without it. We're going to relate it first to, if we go through extremely difficult times, how important this is. Now, this isn't a downer lesson. It's a good one. So I want you all to just take a deep breath and say, I can do this. So, in context, that if the peace outside of you gets stripped away, which is Revelation 6, verse 4, and it says that there would be a horseman that would come upon the earth and he will take peace off of the earth. And they should kill one another, and they were given to him a great sword. Now, we see an intensified time where it's like the enemy's going crazy. And the very fact that peace is being taken off of the earth creates a problem for you if peace is an emotion in your life. Now, ask yourself, is peace an emotion? What is peace to you? So, what's the answer to this? What can you do when there's none around your living? What's going on? If everyone around you is not doing this, what can you do? Now, that is a horrible thing to have stripped off of the earth. What it'll do to you is if there's no peace outside of you, around you, in your environment, if everything around you is chaotic and crazy and not peaceful and you can feel your environment, if you're one of those feelers and you are very perceptive to the environment around you, you will have to learn to do this. Like if you pick up on your environment and if the environment around you is negative, you get it inside of you, this is something that you have to learn to do. If it's like your head has very negative thoughts in it, you're going to have to learn to do this because what will happen is if there's no peace on the outside, if there's no peace around you, then what will happen is that when it's stripped, that the lack of peace in you will be compounded by the fact there's none around you. Okay, so what happens to you is that the peace goes crazy because what the roof falls on your head, your foundation is built on the sand if you don't have a foundation of peace. So it's going to be a compounding on you if you haven't learned to already keep the peace inside of yourself. If you haven't learned how to do that, I want you to think inside of yourself, what kind of foundation do you have inside of you? So, think of the description of yourself. I want you to write a description. Are you where you would say, I'm out of control emotionally? I'm depressed. I have mood swings. I have a bad attitude. I have a horrible self-image. I don't have any emotional strength. I don't like myself. I don't like myself so I don't like anyone else. What is your emotional climate inside of you? What is it like if somebody got inside of you? What is going on in your inner thinking, inside your emotions, inside your feelings? Let me say something to you so you can know it straight from the front. You are not your feelings. And somehow in this environment we're living in or in this mentality of the world, everybody thinks they are what they feel. And they're very in tune to their feelings and their feelings trump everything. Like their feelings go into every decision they make and it changes the philosophy of what they believe. And I'm going to tell you right now, your feelings are there to do what you tell them to do. You are not your feelings. That should give you a good feeling inside if you realize you have the ability to use a switch and switch your feelings completely over it. Because you ask yourself, you tell yourself, I know this stuff. I knew it. Why am I falling for this? Like you can have a totally different thought. Like you, you want to think something completely different than what you're thinking. But you feel yourself and you say, I'm falling for something I don't even want to believe with my head. Like I have a completely different thought in my head, but my feelings are going in the opposite direction. 
Or sometimes you can have a terrible thought in your head and that's what makes your feelings go in that direction. So, what are your mental thoughts? What are your emotions? What is inside of you? So managing your thoughts and your emotions. You have got to train yourself in this area. You have to have authority over you. You can call it mastery over me. Can you manage yourself? If you put your finger on top of your head, can you manage from there down? Do you have control, authority? Do you have where you can literally pull down what you need from the Lord? And this is what we're talking about today is strengthening yourself in the Lord in this area. Strengthening yourself. This is a very practical way to look at it. If you think of your emotions in the front, the engine of your train is your spirit man. And next are all the little compartments after that, and that's your soulish man. But in the very back of the train is the caboose. And in the caboose lives those crazy, mushy feelings. Now, there's nothing wrong with them. You don't want a train that doesn't have a caboose. You must have your caboose. But most people are driving their train with their caboose. <laughs> the engineer is in their caboose driving their emotions or taking them wherever they go. And it's like the runaway mind train. I mean, they're all over the tracks and they're about to derail everybody on there because their caboose is in charge of it. So right now, you're going to get inside of yourself and say, my spirit will dictate what happens in my life. Now, some people are shocked. They don't know they have a spirit. They said, oh, I thought it was number two. I thought my soul was my spirit. And their soul and their spirit has merged so much that they think, well, at least it's not my body. I know I have a soul, but they don't know they have a spirit. So you first of all got to know where your spirit is. Where is it inside of you? It's great news to know I've got a spirit. That's what's functioning inside of me. Once you have your spirit where it's met Jesus Christ, it is full of peace. Your spirit has strength to it. Your spirit is the one that is made to make your decisions. So, your spirit needs to dictate what's going on in your life. Boy, life on earth would be completely different if people were managed by their spirit man. If their spirit man made their decisions. If your engineer is in your spirit going, this is the way we're going to go, full steam ahead. Because it can get you through some messy things. Think of yourself like a war horse. And you remember those horses could go through amazing combat. It could be a barrage of all kinds of shots firing at them. But a war horse could just go straight through it. That's what your spirit has to do sometimes. It has to just go right through the chaos. So, what are feelings? Like if I was Webster and I had to write a definition of feelings, you would tend to move over into, well, they're thoughts. How do you describe feelings? What is feelings? And if you give me this one word, then I'm going to ask, then what is that? If you say, well, it's emotions. Well, what are emotions? Can you give me a word for what this thing is? I mean, defining it is one step in the right direction. At least go in the right direction if you can at least even define what it is. I would say feelings are kind of like a butterfly. They kind of uh, brush up the sides of your insides. They tickle. They make you feel, oh, just, I don't know how to describe it, like maybe nauseous. Like it gives you all different sensations. Feelings can be strong. They can feel powerful. Feelings, what are they? They're sensations. Writing a definition of it is a challenge. I think all they do is bump and go from, well, it's an emotion, and emotion says it's a feeling. And it's very difficult to put a definition on what feelings actually are. Except for the fact, I want you to think about this, so much of your motivation, why we do what we do, is dictated by this little thing called feelings. Like so much of even in ministry is built on feelings. I mean, we laugh about why well, I was having a good hair day, so I did a good job witnessing. But, I mean, there's a lot to do with your emotional climate that has a lot to do with how you 
behave spiritually. Sometimes you're in ministry because you're just meeting your emotional needs. And eventually that'll come to a confrontation, a conflict at some point. So your feelings are very much a predominant part of us, but we can't hardly even wrap a definition around them. We can hardly even describe what exactly are they. I just feel that way. So you tend to think if I feel that way, that's what is. Let, let me use bad grammar. If you feel that way, that's what I are. That's what I am. That's what it is inside of me. You feel like that because you feel it, it is. So take the concrete off of your feelings and let them be just butterflies. Don't hammer them into the ground as being that solid. That guy told me once, he said, you know, every time you hit the pulpit, he says you get nauseated and you want to go throw up. And I did. Just the fear of standing up here with this many eyes looking at me, I was completely telling God, I'll do anything but this. Isn't that funny? And the guy told me, he says, quit calling it nervousness. Quit saying you're nervous to be in the pulpit. He says, it's just butterflies, it's adrenaline. He said, it makes you come alive. He said, it's what gives you the juice. And when he explained it to me and he told me, just call it butterflies, from that point on, I never, ever threw up again before I spoke. And I was throwing up before I spoke every single time. My understanding, this is not a concrete thing. This is not something the rest of my life, the way I'm going to serve God is go throw up and then go do what he tells me to do. <laughs> That's a terrible way to live. <laughs> but it became butterflies. And so when I feel that, you know what it feels like to me? I'm like home alone where the little kid's fingers are moving. And I'm like, I'm fixing to get in the pulpit. I'm excited. And you start feeling your adrenaline go because you know this is what I was made to do. This is where I come alive. Do you see how your feelings can work for you? That little tickle, I quit trying to chuck up the little tickle and I started enjoying the fact that, oh, it just tells me I'm alive. Dead people don't feel. This means something's kind of coming up, trying to come up and coming out. Feelings. It will make all the difference if you can wrap something around your feelings and say, this is what they are. This is what I feel like. Because I think what we're doing is we feel the feelings, but we don't acknowledge, oh, that's feelings. You know, it's like you don't even realize, oh, that's what's happening inside of me. Oh, those are just feelings. Oh, okay. You need a good dad. You need a good father to tell you. You will get a grip on your feelings. They will not be what dominates your life. I remember the point in my life when my dad decided that I would not be managed by my feelings. I didn't decide that. My father decided it. And he decided at that point in my life my discipline would take place by the look on my face. And if my look got bad, I was immediately disciplined. I thought that was crazy. I thought, you know, I thought, how do I know what my look is on my face? And so he would take me to discipline the minute that my face changed expressions and then he tested this theory by saying horrible things about my demise and if my look changed then I was the one with the problem and I was like you've got to be kidding I had no idea what this guy was doing like I was like what is he doing to my life and so he said if I discipline you for attitude it'll never become an action and you know what? Every one of the kids that come to the college department that did not have a father do this to them, I'm like, oh, whoa, it's me. They miss out on the fact that they never had anyone tell them, you must get a hold of this. You must put a harness on this. You've got to put a bridle around this. You've got to manage your feelings. And I feel like, oh, they lost out in life. And oh, woe is me because I have to deal with it now. Do you know why parents don't teach kids to manage their emotions? Because they don't have their emotions managed. They are out of control. Guess which generation they came out of. And they've been saying yes to their feelings since the day they were born. So a lot of the students coming out of here are better 
and more mature than their parents. They literally, their parents have no emotional control or stability because their parents were never disciplined, taught to know that look on your face is going to get you in trouble. How did I find out my father was correct? Because God looked at Cain and he said, why is your countenance fallen? Why is your face looking like that? And God disciplined Cain for the look on his face. And he said, this is about to happen to you because the look on your face shows you where this train is going. You are headed down the wrong tracks. So this is where I'm going to take you through my father's discipline. Is saying right now, you are responsible for the look on your face. You're responsible for your countenance. When it clouds up or angry or like Cain's where he was just full of all kinds of thoughts of thinking, you know, my brother, it's not fair. You have got to take those emotions and those thoughts and have a different way of looking at it. So feelings. I'm glad we have a word for it. I'm glad you understand that they're shooting through your body. They are real. Your feelings are real, but they're not reliable. They're real. I'm not trying to tell you they're not real. They're real, but they're not reliable. Feelings give us our highs and feelings give us our lows. And if that is what is in charge of you, you're what Brother Jacob calls a yo-yo. <laughs> he goes, oh, they're just a yo-yo. I'm like, okay, I know what he's saying. Picture a person who totally walks by their feelings. Up and down. Up and down. Because you can never predict. Can you imagine being married to them? You meet them at the high and you meet them at the low. You meet them at the high and you meet them at the low. Because they're a yo-yo. And they can't get it straightened out inside of them. One thought hits them in their head. And it sinks them. And this is why I'm telling you, don't marry someone that has not been through this. Don't marry, because they will have one thought that tells them they're tired of you, and it's over. They're frustrated with you. They don't like you. And I'm telling you, the devil will send a thousand things to them to confirm it, to back it up. And they think it's you, but the truth is, it's their thought that's causing it to be like a magnet to draw it to you. You can't fix it because the devil's going to see to it that that thought comes to the finish line. And if that person doesn't take that thought and get it under their feet, it actually starts drawing things that they'll see on you, whether they're there or not there, to bring it to pass. And you can't fix it in marriage counseling. You can't fix this. Because you're trying to work on how they feel about each other and the person hasn't learned to tell themselves how to feel. They've never, ever taken a thought and made it submit to them. And that's what I've got to ask you. Are you that person? Have you ever taken a thought and made it submit to you? I'm telling you, this is something I have to do daily. Like, I'll have a thought. It doesn't have God's name on it. <laughs> it doesn't say sent from heaven. And I must make that thought do what I tell it to do. So if somebody has never done that once in their life, you think you can have a marriage with them? And I'll tell you what they'll do to you. They will trump it with personality. They'll have so much personality, you'll think, oh, I could marry this. This is great personality. Or I could be around this. But it is personality. They must be able to take a thought. They must be able to take an emotional environment and switch it. They have to be able to do this or they're not going to be able to sustain a long-term relationship. And the problem is, I'm not just talking about with you. I'm talking about with the Lord. They won't be able to have a wonderful relationship with Jesus every day of their life because of this one little simple thing. And you don't hear anyone telling you this. I don't know why this is not being preached. I don't know why this isn't being studied because it's the number one thing that messes everything up. You have one random thought and you think, oh, I've been shot by that thought. I had this thought. It must be true. That's the thought that I had about them. 
Usually you can put a mirror on it and whatever you're thinking they're doing, you're doing yourself. So I'm telling you, grab the thought and do something with it. You can cry out for them. You can pray. You can change it. But if only one of you works on it, it's going to go down. That's what's going to go down. You must have two people doing this with each other or it won't work. So a person who totally walks by their feelings, a thought, they have a high high and a low low. You can't predict where they are. They are yo-yo. And it's the area of maturity or immaturity. So this is where I'm challenging us. Let's put some spiritual muscle on. Let's put some muscle on side of you. Immature lives on feelings wide open. They've got to harness them. They've got to get more mature. Throw them in the caboose. What do you do? Let me give you a thing that I got this morning praying on the way here. I was like, I got to get my computer out. I got to write. What I would tell you that I got is when you're beginning this journey and you didn't have a dad who busted you for it, when you didn't have a dad who, who took you to task, he didn't have to do it too many times to me, but I got the message. I got the message. And I, you know, I hate to tell you this, but sometimes it starts out with fake it till you make it. Sometimes you put the smile on your face and you know what? You'll line up to your smile. You start smile out and you go backwards. And unfortunately, we're going to be getting into this. So many of the college kids that get in certain aspects of ministry, it takes a lot of emotions to what they do. And if they don't have this down, it, it creates a problem. So the word that I got for you is when you're starting out on this, put a time limit on it. When you have all kinds of negative feelings, put a time limit. And tell yourself, I'm going to allow myself to feel this for how long? Are you going to give yourself a whole day? <laughs> Are you going to say, okay, I'm going to let myself feel these feelings for an hour? Give yourself a time limit. You know, this is where you have to present to God wisdom for your day. I would hate to tell God, God, I wasted one whole day with being totally an emotional wreck. Now, some things try to warrant that. <laughs> but if you live like this, I mean, the devil will give you more and more and more and more reasons. You don't want someone that collects these things happening to them. Because what happens if fear is a magnet spirit and what you fear comes upon you? then what you feel comes upon you. If you have something, you're drawing that stuff to you. I mean, people that have overcome frustration, anger, they've said, wow, when I got the spirit off of me, the things quit being drawn to me. When you get the, whatever it is, like, I mean, I, I try to think of what all of us have struggled with different things. I have to tell myself, I'm drawing this to me. I'm not going to blame you for it. I'm saying, I'm drawing this to me. Unless you're one of these people that literally let a spirit manifest. So, as we're going through this, I'm going to talk about that feelings can do the worst thing you can imagine, and they can push you away from God. They are not your final authority. They're not accurate. You can't say they are who I really am. They are not who you really are. Which are you? You're two extremes. Do you have emotions which make your decisions? Or occasionally you get a hit between the eyes? Always thought, you know, Goliath went down because he had a little bitty space in his armor. You can put your armor on, but if you've got a little bitty hole in it, it'll come right through that hole. These things find that hole. So you may be putting your armor on, but you've got a little chink in your armor. And that's exactly where this attack comes, right in the little bitty hole. And you'll have a thought, and it'll hit you. I used to have this one thought, and every time it hit me, I went down. You can have something that'll cause you to go down for two or three days. And it never hit me until I was leading a mission team. And this one thought would hit me, and I was like, down. So I thought, I shall go to Jimmy Lau with this thought. I shall tell Jimmy Lau this thought, and he shall give me some wonderful revelation to make this thought go away. And never again will I have it where, because I was real happy. I got from three days to one day. 
And I was in the fake it thing. Like I'd put that smile on, I'd keep going forward, but it wasn't where I was really making it. So I went to Jimmy Law, guess what he told me? I told him what I was having, the thought, and he goes, just stand up quicker. Mm -hmm. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> I mean, this guy with such wisdom and has lived through so many different things, he's going to tell me, just stand up quicker. Sometimes it's as easy as that. That thought that hits you between the eyes. That thing of where you tell yourself, okay, I'm in this place in my life where I don't want to think that anymore. I just can't quit thinking it. I don't want to feel that anymore, but I can't quit feeling it. Your predominant feeling, your predominant thought. Remember where we talked about you're not a thermometer. You're not just reading the temperature. You're a thermostat. You go and you set the temperature where you want it to be. You say, everything's going to line up with this temperature. We're going to get this craziness all around me, and we will line up to this temperature. If you can do it for yourself, you're ready for the next part of leadership. <laughs> if you can do it for yourself, then you can do it for others. That's why, honestly, having a good team helps. Because everybody gets hit with this. You know, I've been shocked as Brother Jacob's letting me into his world. And I just looked at him and the way he is. Like when he comes in here, I don't see yo-yo on him. I don't see him being one way one day and one way another. So I thought maybe he doesn't have this. Maybe he had something remarkable happen to him when he got saved that he just didn't get this problem or maybe it's his culture I, I don't know there's something about the guy he told me oh yeah I have it I have to handle my thoughts I said tell me more what do they say to you oh I'm not going to tell you you know Jimmy Lau he was such a double crosser one night I had something come into my room in India and I had to worship God for four hours to get it off of me the thought was it's five plane rides home and they had just captured a plane and everybody had to sit on it hostage. And anybody that got up and moved, they shot. And it was in a hundred and something degrees heat. It was on a runway. People, you can imagine what was in their seat after three days and the smell. And there were all kinds of hostage situations around me. And anytime I got overheated, I started thinking this claustrophobic thought. It took me four hours of worshiping before I could make up my mind I'm going to get back on that plane. And at two in the morning, it left the room. Jimmy said at two in the morning, the spirit entered his room. <laughs> and it took him till six in the morning. And I told him, I said, you've got to cut this ring off. I said, I'm going crazy. I said, I can't stand this heat with this ring, my finger swelling. And he goes, sign a piece of paper that you want this ring cut off. I said, I'll sign anywhere. So he took his fingernail clippers, he cut my ring off. And I was like, oh, I feel so much better. Anyway, I said, how'd the thought hit you? Oh, I'm not going to tell you. Same thing with Brother Jacob. I'm not going to tell you. You know what it is? I wasn't mature enough to handle it. So that's where you are is your maturity, right? You have to learn how to handle it. Because everybody's going through it. Even leadership has to do this. You do it every day of your life. So I want you to think about something. Remember when all the parents were looking for a place that had peace on earth so we could take the kids? Remember that? They wanted to take the kids to a certain place on the earth that had peace. That's getting a little harder to find. And remember when I made the joke, the dumb joke, and said, well, they don't hit Americans, you know, you know, that whole yeah. thing. And then immediately they strike an American. I thought, oops, I might have caused that. Okay, remember what the Lord told me? You're taking the peace to them. Your team is taking peace in. Why are you waiting for a place where they have peace? You have the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. You're walking peace into the country. So listen to this. Pay attention to the direction of the flow. That's what you've got to do. You've got to have peace inside of you to take peace in. Does that make sense? 
So the flow is you're pulling it down from the Lord. Peace is all inside of you. Think about this. Is every little room in your body filled with peace? Is every room of your heart filled with peace? Is every little speck inside of you full of peace? And then you take that peace that you pulled down from the Lord and you take it into wherever you're going. This is what goes bad. Backwash. When their lack of peace comes back into you and every bit of your body is filled with lack of peace, no peace. Suddenly, everything that they've got, all the garbage going on inside of them comes inside of you. You've got to get the water flow in the right direction. You've got to get the peace coming out of you into them. Remember Jesus? He felt the power leaving. You've got that authority. You pulled it down inside of you to carry your environment into where you're going. Do you see why missionaries that don't do this? They're yo-yos and they come into a place and it goes crazy and they yo-yo with them. They're all shaking. You remember the experiment they did where they taught those little fish? They'd give them electrical shocks and they'd shake and they'd flip on the light at the same time. So then they put them in the tank with other fish and they'd just flip on the light. They'd not give them electrical shock and they'd start shaking. That's what mission teams look like to me. <laughs> Everybody's shaking. And you ought to have a group of 30 kids and they're shaking and they're scared and they're looking at you wanting to know what to do. And we run into that. That's why I don't like taking people overseas with me that don't do what I tell them to do. Because when they're shaking, they've got to listen to that voice of what the Lord's telling them to do. And if they can't hear God under pressure, they need to at least be listening to someone that, that has a piece of what God's telling them. Because a lot of times God will tell you the most ridiculous thing you can think of to do to get out of it. Like he'll tell you, run through the Red Sea. Like he comes up with some ideas that you're not thinking that running up to a sea is the best way. You're like, you've got to be kidding. So that's where peace flows, the direction. Now, I want to know what flows out of you. Does worship flow out of you? Would this be like where the Lord was looking to who he would anoint for king? And he sees this young boy and that what he does in his private time is worship. Is that you? That you're the worshiper in your private time? Or is there no accountability for your private time? Is what you do in the dark a character issue? What happens in that private time? That really is who you are. How do you comfort yourself? You comfort yourself in the Lord? Have you ever even tried this one time? Like one time have you said, I'm going to comfort myself in the Lord. I'm going to find that. So this little boy was just a kid that watched sheep. And he was out there worshiping. He was with his guitar. <laughs> and he was singing to the Lord. Well, the Hebrew version of it, the harp. And he was worshiping out on the mountain. And what happens is he had peace coming after him, coming out of him, flowing through him. Now, I want you to look at King David's life. I've never looked at it this way. But watch what he had to do on guarding his worship his whole life. The kid starts out by worshiping God. It's not where a lot of people start. But when you start with the Lord, you start getting your worship on and your music. You find that way of, wow. When I get into worship, I can really change my environment. And at that point, it actually is coming from the outside in because you're listening to it and someone else's peace you're allowed to come inside of you. It's good. Let it do it. Let that worship, let that spiritual authority, let that peace of someone else come inside of you. But it'll be something different when worship starts coming out of you. That's where this guy was. He was a kid and he was worshiping. And he was anointed king. And so he walks up on the situation of Goliath on the battlefield. And everybody else has picked up Goliath's environment of intimidation. Goliath 
is intimidating. It's the fear factor. Every day, Goliath has the intimidation. And every soldier was shaking in his tent with the environment. Israel had no peace on it. Their leadership had no peace. But David took his peace into this environment. So what was inside of David went with him. Now this is a guy who can shift the environment. He had put his time in worshiping, and immediately, watch what happens, his worship is attacked. Who he is. Remember his brother says to him, he speaks to his brother and he says, I know you have a wicked heart, and all the reason that you came down here was because you wanted to see what was going on in the battle. I know you're evil in your thought. And so you see the brother, and he attacks the peace inside of David. Goliath is attacking the peace. That people start attacking the peace that's within you. You're either feeling the atmosphere or setting the atmosphere. At that point, you have the ability to put a thermometer in it or to go and be a thermostat. So you're either feeling it or setting it or you're feeling it or shifting it. David took the atmosphere and not only set it, but he shifted it. It wasn't long before the courage that was in him filled up every soldier's heart. And they went and they did what David was doing. This is real. Can you sustain this kind of ability where the peace in you, the worship in you, what you have going on with God goes into everyone else? My, don't we wish we all lived there 100% of the time. Jesus did. It's amazing. Shifting the atmosphere. Then you've got David with his mighty men at Ziglag. Well, let's skip. Let's hold on to that for a minute. Let's go to Saul with the sword. David is called in to take a demonically oppressed man and changing what he's thinking. And so David has to know God as a defender. The Lord has to be the defense of his life. He's got that thermostat worked out, and Saul throws a sword at David. That's when it's good that you have in you, the Lord is the defense of my life. Go, whoop, that was close. People start throwing swords at you. You've killed Goliath. They don't care if you've killed Goliath. They're still going to try to kill you. Saul owed David a debt. Now what goes on here is his best friend Jonathan doesn't realize it. His wife, Michael, does. She knew her dad was that way. It was familiar to Michael. But Jonathan, it wasn't familiar. It, honestly, the spirit on Saul was so familiar to Jonathan, he didn't recognize it. He had lived with it so long. So David goes through the thing of he's had a sword thrown at him. He realizes his life's in danger, and his friend doesn't believe him. So now he has a secondary attack. Saul's still throwing swords, but his best friend doesn't believe it. So he has two scenarios going on. So what Jonathan made his mistake is he didn't realize that when a man does that, he will keep on doing it. Because his father had tried to kill him not too long before it when he was out fighting a battle. He disobeyed one of his dad's commands and his dad goes off with his head. I don't care if he is my son. And everybody intervened and kept Jonathan alive. But he has a hard time believing that Saul would be secretly doing that to his friend. So David now, he's in that place of being misunderstood, not believed. Have you ever caught someone lying? We've talked about this. And you start thinking, am I crazy? Are they really lying? I'm not understood. I mean, it starts messing your environment up. Saul didn't mess him up as bad as Jonathan did. Because he's like, Jonathan! And so they have a whole scenario that goes on through that of trying to get the two guys on the same page. Wow, you're just like, this is crazy. You're constantly dealing with this, but you think, well, surely you'll get better. So David gets all these guys that are just like him, I think 200 guys in a cave with him that think just like him, and they become his mighty men. And so they're out and they're making their rounds and they do all sorts of things for while Saul's chasing them and David's been uh, driven away. 
But guess what happens? Something goes down really bad. Their entire village where they were living is burned. All their children, their wives are all taken. And the people are all upset and they decide they're going to kill David. So it's one thing that you've just been attacked and everything you know has been taken away. But next, your own people decide, I'm going to kill you. And I don't know what it is, but in pain, people will try to kill good leadership. And this is birth, what we're talking about. The ability to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Because if you go crazy at this moment and say, wow, being anointed king, being in the leadership is not what I want. I mean, it, from the moment this has happened to me, everything in my life has gone wrong. My brothers hate me. Saul has turned on me. People don't believe me. Now my own guys, my own men are trying to kill me. And at that point, if you have a vice, you'll go comfort yourself. We were watching a movie. This guy, he turned to alcohol. At this point, you think, I've got to do something to take care of this pain inside of me because of the fact you have not learned at this moment how to fall to your knees, fall face down to the ground, and strengthen yourself in the Lord. It's not fair to you if you do not realize this is going to be part of your walk with God. That you have to go and turn the situation around. So David got on his knees and he strengthened himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He started telling himself other thoughts. He had other emotions going on inside of him. He began to go somewhere with the Lord that nobody can explain to you how to do it until you pour yourself out on the earth with God. And literally, this is what it takes to be able to go to the place where you can make it for any length of time in a relationship. And this is the relationship that David had with God and with those people he led. Because the devil will try to talk you into hating those that you are called to. You will suddenly hate your mission field. You know, I told you about one of my kids. She was so good with what she did every single day, but she hated her mission field. I go, you have got to quit hating the people you minister to. Because she could flip that switch and she could be funny and wonderful and talk about the Lord, but she hated them. <laughs> Strengthening yourself in the Lord. You're called to get the spirit off of Saul, and that spirit comes after you and starts chasing you. That worship environment. Then you have David with Shimei. And Shimei is appointed to you on the worst day of your life. Know when you are being attacked in a personal way, this is when it draws this kind of attack to you. David had an attack, and it was with his own son, Absalom. So now David's emotional environment is not good because he's thinking, failure, I fell with my kids, guilt, I didn't handle Absalom right. Crazy emotion, is he going to have to be killed? This guy's coming against me. David is in a perplexed state of mind. That is the place the devil will hit you. Your fruit the ones that you're responsible for. You've messed up. David's going crazy inside of himself. And Shimei comes out, and Shimei is a man with a demon on him. And he runs along the top of the cliff where David's walking on the road below, and he starts cursing David and telling him, the reason this has happened to you is because you're out of fellowship. You went against the house of Saul. See, you're not right. And people will tell you, structurally, you're not right. They will come to you and they will tell you this and their demons will manifest. The spirit in them will be agitated and they will tell you, structurally, you're not right. And they'll tell it to you on the day that's the worst day of your life. 
because they have no control of the spirit inside of them. They have a little demon that goes rah, 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 and it yak, 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 yaks. And then they'll put it on you. Because criticism comes to you at the worst time in your life. Just know that. I heard this. A guy spoke this in a ministerial alliance meeting. The only one I went to with dad. And he said, people will criticize you on the worst day of your life. So you've got the guy, David, who at Ziglag, he strengthened himself in the Lord. And within 24 hours from that point, he becomes king. But now you have it where he feels messed up inside. The worship environment. So, David has times in his life the worship is attacked. But he pulls himself up and he decides, remember this scene? I'm going to get the ark back in Israel. The blessing? Oh, I better get it back on our people. And so he takes the ark and he literally gets his worship on. And he's happy He's going to change the climate for Israel. He's going to bring the presence of the Lord back. Look in 2 Samuel 6.20. And as he begins worshiping, it says that David danced, 2 Samuel 6.14. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Can you imagine him dancing with everything in him? It doesn't say David danced before the Lord. It says he danced before the Lord with all of his might. This must be what the Lord meant when he said, love me with all your heart, with all your might. Love God with everything in you. The minute you do this, it's attacked. Somebody will look out their window <laughs> when you are worshiping God with everything in you. The swords come out and that worship draws scorn. In verse 20, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, wow. My, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today and honored himself. Well, she goes, uncovering yourself today in the eyes of the, the servants, their female servants, you're like one of those vulgar fellows, shamelessly, who strips himself down. Scorn. Michael is judgment, something she doesn't like. And what David could have picked up right here is a spirit of hurt. And the hurt is not from just one thing. It's from everything. Because I guarantee you, you don't just think of this one scene. You start thinking of the sword that was thrown. You think of your brothers. You think of what Shimei said. You think of what Saul has said. You think of what your mighty men did to you. And you start having a movie. And it plays in your mind. And that is literally what gets you is when it compounds on you. Because it's not always that it converges where it all hits you at once. All these things didn't happen to him at once. But it converges by the fact that you think of them as if they're all happening to you at that moment. Like if you get rejected by someone, you think of every time you've been rejected by them. If you get hurt by somebody, you can have one person hurt you. And then from then on, you add all those hurts together. This is called convergence. This is what happens. It all descends upon you. What did David do? What did David do? When you have the gift of worship, you've got to go back to who you were. You've got to go back to that little boy who wrote those psalms. David wrote psalms to change his emotional environment. David wrote the Psalms to say, I'm starting out here. I'm pouring out my emotions to you, God, but I'm going to end up here. That's why you have raw feelings in those Psalms. That's why David could flip his environment. That's why there were so many songs in the hymnals. And David was constantly having to flip them. These are just the stories we know about. But in these moments, on your worst day, and on your best day, Shimei was his worst day. Michael was his best day. It's going to be attacked. It attacks you. If you're having a good day, look up. It's going to be attacked. If you're having a bad day, 
another one's headed down the arrow shaft unless you flip it. So David would take the Psalms and he would literally switch the emotions. I want to end with this today. Look what David did when Michael said this to him. He said, Michael, and he explains her life to her. He tells her, you have generational curses on you. You can make a decision to be different. Like you married into a different house. Michael, you're picking up the environment you were raised in. You're marrying someone's past and their environment. He says to her, these are your choices. You can either come out of it, you can come out of your past pain, or you're going to be forever living with this terrible spirit inside of you, this negative spirit. Because Michael wasn't always bad. There had been a time when she saved her husband when Jonathan wasn't seeing it, and Michael had come to his rescue. He gives her a choice. Unfortunately, Michael chose wrong, and she was barren. Barren in so many ways. She was empty. More of the same. And that's what you don't want. But not David. Michael stayed barren because she could not get her worship on. She couldn't do it, and she couldn't stand it when someone else did. Look at what David did. This is a glorious place to end. He said, yet I will make myself even more contemptible. I will make myself less distinguished than this. He said, I will take myself to even a lower level. Notice what he did. He didn't say, I am king. <laughs> and I will, he took himself lower. He said, if you don't like what you saw, and I was abased in your eyes, but he said, these female servants of whom you've spoken, I shall be honored in the sight of them. And I will worship God even more than this. When it's attacked, your answer to the devil, because it's not a flesh and blood war. This environment shift is literally horsemen coming after you with swords in their hands. This is literally not someone trying to make your life miserable. This is literally the demon horde out of hell itself. It's a horde of demons that come after you to steal worship, strength from the Lord, encouragement straight out of you. And look what David says. I'm going to keep growing. Here a man who they said David had worshipped God with everything in him says, look, I'm going to do it even more than this. I'm going to go even further. Even though he had done it with everything, David said, I have room to grow. There's still room for me to grow. So I invite you, as we're looking into this ideal, of being able to switch that switch, to find that ability to strengthen yourself when everything is shooting swords at you, to tell yourself, I may have just worshipped God with everything in me, Satan, when you hit me, I'm going to do it even more. Amen.